Hey man, it's me, Kevin Smith, the annoying voice of podcasting, and you're listening to the non-annoying Three Guys in a Flick. Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Now listen here, you mullet. Why don't you just light your tampon and blow your box apart? Because it's the only bang you're ever going to get, sweetheart. Welcome back. You are listening to Three Guys and a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Tonight's episode, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Coming to you from somewhere in the Australian outback. You know what, dude? I fucking told you we shouldn't have gotten off the main freeway. But no, you and your fucking shortcuts. Now we're fucking lost. It looked quicker to me. Yeah. Anyways... Coming to you from this far out place, my name is Don, and to my right we have our comic book guy, John. I'll join this conversation on the proviso that we stop bitching about people, talking about wigs, dresses, bus sizes, penises, drugs, nightclubs, and bloody ABBA. Doesn't give us much to talk about then, does it? And to my left we have the professor, Ken. Hello loves, how y'all doing? Oh, just lovely. How are you, sir? I'm smashing it. Yes. Yes, you are. He's in good spirits. Yeah, I know. I got to say that, Don, that that wig tiara feather thing that you are wearing looks amazing. It's got to be like three feet. It's almost touching the ceiling. Yeah, well, I mean, I can't move my head back and forth, so. No comments for my thong dress? No. No, there are literally no words. Tonight, we are talking about the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, released on August 10th, 1994. It was directed by Stephen Elliott, the screenplay by Stephen Elliott, and it stars Terrence Stamp, Hugo Weaving, Guy Pierce, Bill Hunter, and a bunch of other divas. How did this movie do, Don? Uh, This movie was made for around $2 million, and it brought in $30 million. I don't think that's too shabby for an Australian-made movie. You don't hear about too many really successful movies from Australia, except for what the original Mad Max. The original Mad Max comes to mind, and... There's one other. Which one? I can think of it. Crocodile Dundee? Yep, that's the 800-pound gorilla. That was the moneymaker for Australia. This movie won an Academy Award. Who knew? And then when you find out what it won for, it's like, well, duh. Yeah, but I think that story is pretty phenomenal. Uh, I was lucky enough to watch a making of, and apparently uh, all of those costumes, uh, they didn't have elastic, so everything was rope. Uh, everything was just kind of hodgepodge together, and the director said something like, uh, I only needed it to last eight seconds on film because as soon as the camera stopped rolling, something would fall off. It would fall to pieces, and it was just very shoddy um, because they didn't have any money or time, really. 
and yet it turns around and wins an Academy Award. So I think that's pretty fucking impressive. I guess one of the costumes specifically that was called out was the thong dress. Do you know how much it cost them to make that thong dress? How much? $7. Yeah. Yeah. And then you look at what it was uh, up against. I know Maverick was one of them. Um, There were a couple others. But you've got to imagine the wardrobe on Maverick were properly sewn and Mm -hmm. you know because it was a bigger production and And it it was also a period piece yeah and um it had money right i mean it's richard donner Mm -hmm. our boy yep so uh you kudos to the to the making of this film so yeah the the gorilla-ness of it if you will yeah what do you think of the casting of the film um i thought the casting was okay i guess uh terrence stamp looked miserable Hugo Weaving looked out of place. Uh, I felt that one of the only bright spots was Guy Pierce. I thought he was delightful. Well, the interesting that you bring up that Terrence looked uh, miserable, the director purposely had the makeup and everything done on him to look miserable, to look out of place, to look like he didn't belong. And Terrence didn't even know it until he finally saw the movie and read the trades that he looked that way. He thought he looked beautiful when, when they're doing the makeup and everything for him. His, his frame of mind that he put himself into to get into part was that he was a beautiful woman. And that was how he chose himself to be uh, radiating from inside. Did you hear who else they wanted for Bernadette? Uh, who was that, sir? David Bowie, John Cleese, Tim Curry... Tony Curtis and John Hurt were all considered for that role. So I was Bernard. I wonder if Bernadette was written as an older character. Yeah, it was meant to be an older. Because oh. uh, I don't know if David Bowie would have fit that. In 94, maybe. Maybe. But I could see Bowie playing it, for well, sure. They originally wanted uh, Tony Curtis. That was the one they really wanted for that role. Uh, what other movie did he... Some like it hot. There you go. Mm-hmm. Very good. And that's Professor. the role. That's the reason they wanted him was because of that role. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, he, he basically responded with, he's done that and he doesn't need to revisit it. Out of all those names, the only one I would, would put any stock into would have been John Cleese. But I got to say that I, I am in general disappointed with the casting that they did choose to do. Why not just have a gay person? Why not just hire a gay person to do the role? That I, I I think that that was a missed opportunity. However, it's also 1994, but still. Yeah, and well, I mean, I mean, Terrence Stamp is a name, and they're trying to get this uh, film rolling and get this film made, and so Terrence Stamp brings a little bit of weight to that. Um, as far as why not hiring a gay actor, I I am of the opinion and the school of thought that if you're a good actor, it shouldn't fucking matter. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I guess they had a lot of problems with casting in that they offered the roles to a lot of different actors. They all turned it down because back then, a lot of actors felt it was career suicide to play someone who was homosexual in a movie. Well, the joke's on them now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So All three of them went on to have great careers. Yeah. You know, you go. I forgot about Terrence Stamp completely being in Young Guns. I was, uh, You beat me by half a second, Professor. For Tick, they wanted Rupert Everett and Colin Firth, as well as Tim Curry was considered for that role as well. And I think that, I mean, I like Hugo Weaving. I think he's a great actor. And he wasn't horrible in this. Um, I just didn't find him very likable. So 
I thought he did a very believable job for me in this movie. What did he make you believe? That he was, first of all, that he was of that lifestyle, that he was a drag queen, and that he was a homosexual. See? Good actor. Yeah. Didn't have to be gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just if, fucking with If you. I had seen this movie not knowing anything about these actors, I would have thought all three of them were homosexual. Did you have a character that you liked over the others? Honestly, Tick. I really liked Hugo, Hugo Weaving's character. I like his journey, his, uh, you know, from, you can kind of really see it, that he starts off with, you know, especially with his first song of no home, no family, kind of just in a rut, you know, needing something new to, you could see by the end in his face and in his performance how everything has changed. And I thought he did a great uh, acting portrayal of that. How about you, Don? Did you have a character that you liked? Uh, if I had to pick one, it would have been Felicia. Very lively, very fun. Um, of course you would like the bitchy one. And of course you would like the one that had no fucking emotion whatsoever. Yeah, what about you? Who did you like? Bernadette. Really? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I appreciated the story arc that we had her coming in and then where we were left. Uh, regarding the director, Stephen Elliott... Do you know that to get the actors ready to play these roles, he had them all dress up in drag prior to filming and actually took them out to a bar? Yeah, I had heard that. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting take, and I guess it, it worked for them. Yeah, uh, not uncommon for actors to get engrossed and go out and try to live it before they do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, smart move on the director's part. Builds bonding. This movie is also really well known for its soundtrack. And out of that $2 million it took to make this movie, I wonder how much they had to pay. Because they had a lot of popular pop songs. They did. Yeah. Are you an ABBA fan? There's one song. Why is this an ABBA movie? Because ABBA is actually big in the drag community, or at least it used to be. Well, I I get that, but I mean... And they, they, they bring, up drag, or bring up ABBA so many times in the movie. Three times, and it's a recurring joke, and then there's one song. I would not classify this as an ABBA movie. Okay. Uh, Mamma Mia. Now, that's a fucking ABBA movie. The soundtrack was pretty good. Did you guys like it? Yeah. Well, it worked for the moments, right? Because it was to showcase our our divas, our yeah. stars. Uh, there was one particular song that came on, and it made me smile. It was I Love the Nightlife. Same. Did it remind you of a movie? No. Oh, really? Uh, Love at First Bite. With George Hamilton. I totally remember that movie. That's that's the song that was from that movie. Is that's why it made me smile. So I prepared a little bit of trivia again for uh, for this movie, and I thought I would ask you guys and see if you can guess the answers. So in the movie, they have to drive from Sydney to Alice Springs. How many miles do you think that is? And I'll give you guys a barrier of a hundred over a hundred less. Wouldn't it be kilometers? You can say kilometers if you want to do kilometers. Uh, Sydney to Alice Springs, uh, I'm going to say 2,000 miles. What do you say, Professor? That was going to be my guess, too. So I'm, Next time you can go first. So I'm going to go ahead and say 2,500 miles. Professor is closer. It's uh, I'm sorry, miles, it's uh, 1,723 miles. It's two 2,773 kilometers. Aha, so Don is closer. So you, Don is closer. If you had said kilometers, you would have been closer. But I didn't. But I guess driving it would take about 29 hours. Wow. 
So it's a good thing they had a bus. And that they broke down and took the shortcut. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we just discussed the movie. Podcast over. Fuck off. Good night. Second question. What is a drag king? I don't know. You got a guess, Don? A drag king, duh, is the opposite of a drag queen. I mean, it's not fucking rocket science. Yep. It is a woman who dresses up and performs as a man. They're also known as diva queens and hyper queen and queens. My last question for you. What's the difference between a drag queen and a transgender person? Me and Don. Drag queens are typically men who dress up as women. Transgender people are either people who are undergoing or have undergone hormone replacement therapy. So I thought that would just be interesting to point that out since we have both types of characters in this movie. Anthony Tick Belrose, using the drag pseudonym of Mitzi Dalbra, is a Sydney-based drag queen who accepts an offer to perform his drag act at Lassiter's Hotel Casino Resort, managed by his estranged wife, Marion, in Alice Springs, a remote town in central Australia. After persuading his friend and fellow performers, Bernadette Bassinger, a recently bereaved transgender woman, and Adam Whiteley, a flamboyant and obnoxious young drag queen who goes under the drag name Felicia Jolly Goodfellow to join him. The three set out for a four-week run at the casino in a large tour bus, which Adam christens Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. So the movie opens up with a musical number. Uh, Obviously, the musical number is supposed to tell us that this character, Tick, uh, is in a rut and uh, is kind of yearning for a family connection. Uh, Did you like the opening or did it kind of put you in a bad place to start this movie never put me in a bad place i have never seen this movie Mm -hmm. but i've heard lots about it for some reason i thought it was way older than 94 but i thought it was the 80s as well yeah i saw hugo weaving in the dress and i thought oh that's a pretty color or pretty dress whatever and he starts uh lip syncing so at this point i'm just waiting for something to happen professor you have any thoughts on the opening uh no not really i uh I, I thought that he came across as a character that is performing uh, at uh, a subpar level, that he was depressed. And it was strange, I thought, that the venue that he was in, because I, I have no, uh, I have nothing to compare how uh, the Australian life accepts drag shows. And I, I don't necessarily think that it would have been something where, you know, like the guys go out and they're, and they're shooting pool and there's going to be a drag queen singing on stage. I, I don't put those two things together, but perhaps that's part of the culture in, in Australia. I don't know that. And so ha- having those two things juxtaposed, I was perplexed by that, especially when you had the, uh, the, the person in the crowd throw the can and beam him on the back of the head. Yeah. And, and so... So there was some malice there. So why do you have patrons that go to uh, a drag show if that's what they want to do, that they want to mock them and, and, and scorn them? Because they weren't that much into the show. But in general, it did feel depressing. What about you? Well, I watched a video talking about the life in Sydney at that time in that decade. And I guess there was a much larger gay population of, you know, 
for all of Australia that kind of congregated in Sydney. So that area, that hotel, that neighborhood actually had really strong ties to the gay community. So I can understand that's why they kind of started with that place. But I agree with you. It seemed weird that our main character, who's supposed to be you know, a more popular drag queen, is in a bar where nobody is paying attention. And so this is where Mitzi gets uh, hit in the back of the head and she falls down and uh, Felicia comes out. And so this is where we get to see Guy Pierce, And he picks up the microphone and starts yelling at the crowd, you know. And then um, we get to know a little bit more um, about these two characters. We go into the dressing room, right, after that? Yeah, and, and that's where we... That, that's where we get our first meeting of Felicia, Adam, right? Right. And having uh, the backstage, uh, I, I thought that it was uh, very, very brief because he gets, the, he gets the phone call almost immediately. Right. Right. He's sitting down, takes the wig off, rubs his head, stares at himself, and then it's the phone call. This movie is labeled as a comedy. Did you kind of see it as a comedy or did you see it as a more of a drama or... Uh, I could see why it was labeled a comedy, and maybe you could... I mean, there are definitely dramatic elements in it, uh, but just the... I think the sheer nature of it uh, says comedy and musical, for sure. It's absolutely a lighthearted movie. The one thing I like... With a couple of heavy themes. Well, that's one of the things I kind of liked about this movie, is that it had a lot of ups and downs we get our funny moments then all of a sudden we get a very hot you know hard and serious moment then we're back down to really lighthearted comedy then we're right back up to a serious moment i kind of like that up and down nature of this film mm. and especially how the you know the, the characters react to the more heavy scenes and so uh we find out or we meet bernadette on the phone right because isn't that who tick is talking to mm-hmm. and then we find out that uh trumpet has died yep and so that was bernadette's companion yeah and uh, so we now know that bernadette is in mourning and kind of needs a change of pace as well and is this where tick brings up that he has been offered a job mm-hmm. a four-week run at a casino yeah now we don't know that his uh wife runs the place yet right not yet okay so we just we assume that yeah it's a road movie right and so uh, Bernadette says, yes, I'll go. It'll be awesome. Just the two of us. It's not nope. just the two of them. And so in the meantime, Felicia, they get this bus. and I they... love how Felicia gets the bus. Do you remember I, that part? No, <laughs> I don't. Basically, Felicia, because they say we can't afford this bus. Felicia says that uh, dear old mom, mom gave him the money to buy the bus because maybe a trip to the Outback might you know, make him not gay anymore. Right, yeah. So he uses that stigma against uh, his mother and gets a bus out of it. Which I thought... That's pretty fucking smart. I thought it was funny because he makes that comment, but then when they show the montage of them packing and getting ready, did you notice it was the mother putting all the dresses and the shoes and everything in Felicia's suitcase? In this movie also, uh, right in the beginning here, as they're leaving, you know, they christen the bus... Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Before, uh, Professor, had you seen this movie before? Uh-uh. Did you realize before seeing this movie that that's what the movie was named after, named after the bus? Uh-uh. Yeah, I did because I heard about the movie. Okay. Yeah. So, so it was no surprise for you? No. Speaking of which, how did you guys watch this? Did you rent it? 
uh, Apple TV. I watched it, I think, on Tubi, which was free, but it had commercials. Mm, commercials. So you watched it with commercials? I too? will never fucking do that again. You want to talk about putting me in a bad place? Yeah, put on fucking commercials. Every time a commercial would come on, I would go, fucking John. I figured that probably you were lowering it every time a point five. Oh, more than that. Uh, I watched this movie with Julie and my father, and Julie would just cuss and swear every time the commercials came on. And it got to the point because it was the same commercials that we just started reciting the commercials, you know, word for word every time they came on. Oh, that's such a fun evening. And dad fell asleep. John, you've seen this before, yeah? I've seen this many times. I think the first time I saw this movie was in college. Did it blow you away? I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Enough that, you know, I would suggest it for us to watch. Well, on the long journey through remote lands bordering the Simpson Desert, they meet a variety of characters, including a group of friendly Aboriginal Australians for whom they perform. The less accepting attitudes of rural Australia in such towns as Cooper Purdy and are subjected to homophobic abuse and violence, including having their bus vandalized with homophobic graffiti. So they get on the bus, they take off, and they drive for a while. And in this bit, we get, you know, I think... Uh, like each of them driving or taking a turn or whatever. And, and they're just kind of having this catty uh, conversation. And I mean, the conversation seemed fine. Um, we're, we're still in the beginning of this film and I still haven't, you beginning know, beginning of the trip, right. I, ha- I haven't written it off yet. And I mean, I'm kind of enjoying it, I guess. Um, but then, you know, eventually they do get to a town. Yeah. They arrive in this quiet community and it, it, it is r- it is so obvious what is to come. Yes, absolutely. Yes, and Tick loses, I guess, they play cards or something. Tick loses and is forced to wear full drag around town. And, of course, Felicia, who doesn't like to be out, you know, outdone, dresses up as well. Right. They have this low-angle camera shot of the bus door, and it it's opening, and we can see... The, there's people walking in, in the crosswalk, and they're all wearing boots. There's like five people, and they're all wearing boots. And then you have the shoe come down in the fore, in the forefront of the shot, and you get to hear the, the, the rubber squeak hitting the concrete. And sure enough, the camera pans up, and in complete drag glory, we have our main characters coming out of the bus in full regalia. Yeah. Yeah. Completely fish out of water. Right. And so they walk down the street and they check into a hotel, right? Mm-hmm. Is this where they, mm-hmm. yeah. And they raid that mini bar. And then they decide uh, to go out. Right after this, we have uh, I Love the Nightlife. We get to see the, uh, they're walking about the town with I Love the Nightlife. And then it segues into the evening. Because the they're night- still wearing the same outfits when they go into that bar and meet yes. the mullet lady. And, and it's their first night out onto the town and then they go in and then that's where you have the confrontation that Bernadette has where she comes up and and she says, you know, we don't want you here. And then Bernadette gives that whole routine. Right. And then, uh, they cut to the, uh, Indiana Jones drink off. Yep. Exactly what I thought of too. Yep. And then, uh, Felicia and tricks, trinks, what's her name? Tinks. Tink. Tink. Uh, Felicia and Tink stand on the bar and Tick. do a little 
do a little dance, right? Mm-hmm. Tick, that's right. And they seem to be somewhat accepted by the end of the evening. And You'd think they are. Until they get outside. The and next morning. Until they get outside and they see their bus. Right. Right. So a big homophobic. AIDS fuckers go home. Yep. Is uh, painted on the side of their bus. And I guess that was kind of a statement of the time. Again, this video I was watching uh, talked about in that, in that time period, uh, 1994, uh, I think it was one out of four murders were due to, uh, like it was a gay killing. It was basically a hom- homo bashing kind of thing. One other thing um, that, that happened around this time was we also found out, it's been revealed to us, the audience, why the trip is happening to Alice Springs. It's to help out his wife. And it's the proverbial needle across the record. You're married? Yeah, that, that comes to light. Right. There's a little line in there that I, that I really appreciated. And Tick, he says, I'm sorry I never told you. I'm not sorry that you're here. Right. Is this also where we get the interaction of Felicia naming Bernadette's real name or previous name? When she calls him Ralph. Calls him Ralph. It's a, it's in one of the bits when they're on the bus. Yeah. yeah. I guess there is a term for this. It's called dead naming. When you basically out a trans person using their previous name. And I guess it's considered extremely cruel in that community. So you can see why Bernie reacted so negatively to every time Felicia used that name. One thing I did want to bring up. This, this scene, this whole uh, outing was filmed in a city called Broken Hill. And after this movie was done and after this movie became super popular, they actually started a yearly celebration called the Broken Heel that I guess everyone in the town dresses up like drag, has a big parade and celebrates. And it's supposed to be the idea of it is that it's a small community kind of out in the middle of nowhere without a large gay population but it shows the acceptance of all people that are gay in that area and i thought that's kind of a beautiful statement for that city to make mm-hmm. yeah so of course almost in every road trip movie or cross country there's always got to be some kind of shenanigans with either a shortcut or you know going across the desert obviously that was pretty expected after they're out there on the shortcut we get one of our first iconic moments of the movie. We have Felicia up on top of the bus. Yes. Yes, that big long shot and uh, the outfit that she's wearing matches the streamer that's going by. That big old yeah. silver outfit. Yeah. Um, did you read about the filming of that scene? I did not. I guess they kept trying to get that big streamer to go and there was no wind that day. And all of a sudden, the wind picked up. They were able to film for 45 minutes before the wind quit again. No, you're, you're talking about the close-ups. Well, just getting that scene of that whole big silver uh, tarp or whatever it was, the streamer in the background. Right. But if you're driving, you don't need wind. I don't know. They just said that there was no wind that day, and they couldn't get it to pick up. Oh, they're probably because they they do a lot of close ups as well, mm-hmm. and I can't imagine that they're driving and doing close ups at the same time. That seems a little bit unsafe to me. Mm-hmm. But you know, guerrilla filmmaking. Being on top of that bus, I thought was pretty unsafe. Yeah, I I guess I didn't. I mean, why? I mean, would there be a belt in that big shoe? I, but why is she doing it? 
or he, or what do I call them? I don't want to be a dick. Uh, they refer to themselves as girls and gals, so I just assume we use the as she, her. Perfect. Uh, why do you think she's doing that? Attention. But there's it's middle of nowhere. It's also, you get the impression that the whole reason Felicia's going along is to do things that she's never done before. You know, she wants to go up to King's Rock in a frock, that kind of thing. Maybe being on top of this bus is just the thrill that Felicia needs. Maybe. I don't know, because for me, I, I thought that Felicia's story was was not very strong, and I didn't understand how that character uh, was contrib- contributing to our story arc other than, you know, one-liners maybe. Comic relief. Yeah. Uh, uh, the look-at-me person of the gang. I also thought it was kind of the comic foil to the straight man, to the, well, straight woman in uh, Bernie's type character that was supposed to be the complete opposite. And then out of the middle of nowhere, Priscilla breaks down. When the bus breaks down in the middle of the desert, Adam spends the whole day repainting it lavender to cover up the vandalism. The trio later meet Bob, a middle-aged mechanic from a small outback town who joins them on their journey after his wife leaves him. Before they arrive at Alice Springs, Tick reveals that Marion is actually his wife, and they never divorced, and that they are actually going there as a favor to her. Continuing their story, Adam is almost mutilated by a homophobic gang before he is saved by Bob and Bernadette. Adam is shaken, and Bernadette comforts him, allowing them to reach an understanding. Likewise, the others come to terms with the secret of Tick's marriage and resolve their differences. Together, they fulfill a long-held dream of Adam's, which, in the original plan, is to climb King's Canyon in full drag regala. One of the things, uh, first of all, you know, our whole plot thing that we usually grab online is a little bit out of order, I think, because after the bus breaks down and they have all their kind of trying to figure out what they're going to do and Bernadette goes for the walk and everything, well, they come across those aborigines. Uh, and I really liked the scene where they kind of combined the aborigine music and the aborigine culture into the contemporary music of the time. I want to know how they changed their fucking clothes so fast. I, I was wondering that, too. I even said that to Julie. Did they pack a suitcase when they walked to that party? It, or was it just over the hill from the bus? Well, they didn't. They weren't carrying any luggage. Yeah. So they put on a, a show for the uh, Aborigines. And uh, this was a sweet scene. You know, you, at first, uh, the, the locals are kind of like, what the fuck are we watching? But it kind of goes to show you that music brings everybody together. Yeah. So the music that that they are playing is clearly not the music that we were pr- pr- prominently getting in this moment because this is I Will Survive. That's what they're dancing to. Right. And what I chalk that up to, what you were talking about with the outfits, I attribute all of these different outfits, the music during all of these dance scenes, it is how they envision themselves from the inside. And this is how they see themselves. And that's why I am willing to give a pass about how they happen to have these outfits with the Aborigines out in the middle of nowhere. Well, with this kind of movie, I'm not, I'm not going to bring it down a peg. I just said to myself, how the fuck they change so fast? Totally. I mean, because you, you go along with the story. And I'm, I'm pretty certain that they had a boombox with I Will Survive on it. So, um, 
I will say, I think in more like music, we need to hear, you know, didgeridoos. Is that what they call them? Didgeridoos. Didgeridoos. I, I want to hear some more of that in some of our music. So then the tow truck gets the bus into town. And so now we are in town and we can find out what's wrong with Priscilla. Yeah, I guess it's uh, there was a bunch of rocks and gravel and everything getting up into the gas tank or into the engine. Is that what they were saying? Something like that. Yeah. He said, you- he said he, uh, Bob said that he, they needed a new uh, tank, uh, but if he cleared all the gunk and shit out, it might get him yeah. further. Yeah, maybe not all the way there, but further. Right. What did you think of Bob? Uh, I thought Bob was fine. Uh, when it, when we first meet him, I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Totally. I, I, I was waiting for him to be that homophobic asshole that, you know, is in that these movies, gonna, right? He was not going to lift a finger. Right. But it turns out he was completely the opposite. Yeah, I kind of wondered if he was going to be the same character as the one that, remember the group that picked up Bernadette when Bernadette was wandering the desert? They got back to the bus and saw the other two in drag and immediately took off screaming, basically. Yeah. I thought Bob might be the same case, but no, Bob turns out completely the opposite. He's a big fan of the leg girls. Right, right. And he finds out that Bernadette was one of the most famous leg girls. And then he goes on to further encourage them, you should perform tonight. Are you guys familiar with what leg girls are? Uh, I'm going to say drag queens. They were actually a group that was very popular in Australia, I think in the 80s and 90s, of drag queens. And it was kind of like, I think, at the level from what the sound of it, as we would think of the Rockettes here in the United States. They were a traveling group of drag queens that were actually very popular. Cool. And, And so Bob, he encourages the girls to perform because he thinks they are going to smash. They're going to kill it. They're going to love you. It's kind of funny when they get up on the stage or the counter or whatever, and he's the only one that cheers. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Bob's wife? I've heard mixed opinions of Bob's wife. One was a little too stereotypical. In, uh, in 2023? Yes. Yes. In 2023, back, you know, but a lot of people in those communities say uh, Australian soldiers would often uh, go off and marry, I guess, uh, Filipino wives. And so that was not an uncommon portrayal of things like that. And a lot of people point out that that character, even though it kind of comes off as a little bit comic relief, kind of comes off as a little bit scary, represented a strong woman who knew what she wanted, knew what she wanted to do. And when she wasn't happy, she left. So I guess you can look at it a couple different ways. The actress, Julia Cortez, do you know where we might know her else from? She's the bad guy in Power Rangers. Yeah, she is Rita Repulsa in the original Power Rangers movie. I, I will say this. I had a thought, though, because uh, Bob says that, you know, she can't go out. She gets drunk. She Not gets out of line. Right, right, right. So when she uh, opens up the cabinet and her outfit or whatever comes flying out and, and all, all those, those ping pong balls come flying out, I thought to myself, no way. Oh, you no, already, you, you already had a vision. I already knew. Hey, dude, I've seen South Park, um, so I was thinking, "There's no way this happens." Not only does it happen, but it happens in such style. <laughs> well, the actress actually owned that uh, outfit she was wearing and brought it to the studio to the set. So well, the I zipper mean, and everything. Um, sure, um, but I like the whole <laughs> the, the little pop. Yeah. 
Can, <laughs> can you imagine, you know, there's people out there who do the sound effects for these movies and someone had to sit there and listen and go, is that the sound you think it would make? Let's try this sound. No, I'm sure that's exactly the sound that they, yep, that one. And I, and then guys would be catching it. Would you catch the ball? I don't know. Who's shooting it? I almost feel like she saved them because that crowd was not into their performance whatsoever. Shake your groove thing, man. Come on. That's yeah. a good song. I mean, they were performing on top of a bar top instead of a stage like a, you know. Coyote Ugly? Yeah. And nobody was really paying attention. It looked like it was going to start getting a little bit rowdy. I feel like she saved them in the end. And then she says, sayonara. See you later. I'm out of here. Yeah. I right. don't like your little dingling. She ends up leaving Bob, and now Bob really has nothing to do. And you can kind of tell that Bernadette and Bob are kind of sweet on each other. Maybe. Um, that's what I said, kind of tell. Yeah, it's building kind of, something there. A little, little bit. And so he offers to go along and be their on-bus mechanic. So they head forward to Alice Springs. In the hopes that maybe along the way they might be able to get a new gas tank as well. Right. So they make it to the next town, and it turns out that Bob... Knew someone who could get him a new fuel tank or whatever, but it would take a couple days or, or whatnot. Yeah, he even warns them, say that this is a pretty tough town. They're all pretty much miners who are working in this big hole, digging all day. Tough crowd, probably not best to go, you know, walking through town and cause trouble. Right. And I feel like if you tell Felicia not to do anything, that's just going to backfire on you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. What the hell was she thinking was going to happen? Well, Felicia did drugs. Which, of course, then really took away her inhibitions and decides to go out and fuck around. She, she plain old picks a fight. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. I mean, she had to have known that they weren't interested. Or maybe they were. Who knows? Maybe they were closet uh, homosexuals. Who knows? Well, at first, they thought Felicia was really a girl. It wasn't until they saw the hair on uh, Felicia's arms that they realized that it was a man in a dress and... That's when the homophobia really came out. I thought it was interesting. Uh, one of the scenes where uh, Felicia makes a comment about Bob in the crowd when they're, I guess, at the kangaroo bar barbecue. Uh, and someone asked, do you know Bob? No, I don't know Bob. So Felicia, in this case, is not outing Bob as a friend. No, not at all. That was pretty smart of her. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, Felicia gets beaten up. And uh, Bob comes to his senses and tries to... Tries to protect Felicia. Right, and then Bernadette walks in. Um, I, I don't know why the guy just doesn't knock Bernadette to the fucking ground with a right hook. I don't know either. How do you let her get that close to knee you in the balls? Mm -hmm. I think he just had thought he had a bunch of support and that Bernadette was just going to back down. Well, that's what kind of... Uh, threw me off for a loop too. She walks up, she knees him in the balls, and then it's over. Well, she but he was twice in the balls. He was with a bunch of other fucking guys. Or you, I thought a whole brawl was gonna. That's what I thought mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why it didn't? I, I don't know. Because this isn't uh, England. Or maybe he's the toughest one. Because if you take the toughest one down, yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I did like that line. You know, now you're fucked. I thought that was at the bar. No, but basically, this homophobic guy keeps saying to her, you going to fuck me, Bernie? Bernie, you going to fuck me? You going to fuck me? And then uh, Bernie knees him twice in the balls and says, now you're fucked. Uh, I see. Right after this, it actually gives us our first real interaction between Bernie and Felicia in that they kind of find common ground and start kind of bonding with each other. Right. Uh, 
Felicia is all kinds of upset, and this humanizes uh, both of them, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that Bernadette has always had... Is maternal the right word? I think maternal is a great word. Um, I think that Bernadette has always had that maternal side of her, and it comes out because I think in some ways she's taking care of Felicia. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Even though Felicia drives her up the fucking wall and drives everyone up the fucking wall. But I think deep down inside, Bernadette does care about her. And then we see Bob and Bernadette get a little bit closer, and they end up talking uh, through the night. It did make me chuckle. Uh, Felicia's sleeping quarters. Oh, down below in the in, in the, a tanning bed, in the cargo hold. Which yeah, it's in the cargo hold, and you lift and they hollowed out, or they made a fucking door out of the other bed. I thought that was ingenious. Mm -hmm. Did you like uh, Bernadette waking up with her head in the cake? I figure she just fell asleep and put her head in cake. I figure, you know, I don't know about you two, but I've had uh, drinking experiences similar to that. That surprises me. That surprises me. That, yeah. Have you ever heard anything like a professor waking up where you don't know where you are or where you've been or what you did? All the time. Okay. That's why he's the professor. Yeah. Upon arrival at the hotel, it is revealed that Tick and Marion also have an eight-year-old son, Benjamin, whom Tick has not seen for many years. Tick is nervous about exposing his son to his drag profession and anxious about revealing his homosexuality, though he is surprised to discover that Benjamin already knows and is fully supportive of his father's sexuality and career. When their contract is over at the resort, Tick and Adam head back to Sydney, taking Benjamin back with them so that Tick can get to know his son. However, Bernadette decides to remain at the resort for a while with Bob who decided to work at the hotel after the two of them had become close. Roll credits. So we finally make it to Alice Springs, and we get to the resort, and we pull up, and we head on in, and we get to meet the wife. What did you guys think of this whole subplot of him being married and having a kid? Uh, left field. I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, I thought, I mean... There were a lot of hints throughout, like we got a quick, you know, little montage scene early on of uh, Tick in that big chandelier dress in a hospital with people with cigars. So that made me think right away, he's got a kid out there. Sure. And so sure. I thought, oh, that's the big surprise. They're going to get there and find out he's got a kid. And I'm guessing that's why he had to go all that way. I was surprised how amicable they were towards each other. That the fact that they had such a loving relationship, you know, upon first seeing each other, I, I wasn't expecting that. And it made me feel like that maybe they talk to each other. Yeah, they communicate. And I thought that was pretty fucking cool. I thought that was cool that she supports it and they can still raise their son. And even though he had a lot of anxiety about it and wasn't sure how to proceed, uh, at the end of the day, the kid was fine with right. it, right? So I'm sure that had to have been a huge weight off of his shoulders, her shoulders. They never really go into details about their relationship and about their marriage. I got the impression, and this is just me in my own head, in that that he's always been the way he's been. She's always been the way she is, which is she's into boys and girls, in that maybe they just got married to have a kid, uh, that there was never, you know, anything really to substance to the marriage. That's why they also never got divorced. So she just went on her way. He went on his way. And, you know, 
she had the child. Yeah. Definitely a possibility. Yeah. And basically, she even basically says, uh, you know, when he gets there, that she's been raising the child for, what, 12 years or something like that? Or 10 years? She needs a break. It's his turn to take over for a little while. I didn't know as parents you get a break, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. You, you didn't see that in your contract? Shit. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, struck by that as well. Maybe he knew that over the phone that he was going to be inheriting his son to be the keeper of him. But that certainly wasn't revealed in the story arc, but that, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal to be going someplace thinking that I'm going to do some shows, and then in the end you're going to come back home with your child. He kind of did drop a hint uh, at the end that he knew all along because he said to them, they said, why didn't you ever tell us? And he said, because you guys would have made fun of me the whole way and it would have made it even worse. So he kind of knew he was going to see the child. Now, you're right. He may not have known that he was going to be coming back with the child. But I got the feeling that's the whole point he was going was to go get the child, not just to help her out with some shows. Sure. Sure. I I thought he was just going to help with shows. Now, with them helping with shows like that, I I don't know. Does that, is that a crowd pleaser thing, you know, to, to draw in the, you know, more, more customers to the resort. I don't know. What to have them come down and do a show. Do like drag shows. Yeah. For four weeks. Oh, sure. Probably. It's like, it's, I, it, I chalked it up is to like people having a residency in Vegas mm-hmm. variety shows. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a draw. Have mm-hmm. you guys ever gone to a drag show? No, no. There are some really great ones out there. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, well, an old high school friend, uh, he's touring right now around the world with some drag shows. Uh, he's not—he's the one who's actually producing them, I think, and managing them and having the shows. But there's some ones, great ones that come here. I recently went and saw a drag show based on the Golden Girls, and I thought it was fantastic. It was absolutely—I encourage everyone to go see something like that. They're fun. They're funny. It's a great way to lift your spirits to see these shows. Getting back to the movie, when they go out, I guess, you know, out and have a little picnic thing, what do you think of Tink kind of butching it up a little bit and trying to put on this more masculine character for his son? I, I thought it was I thought it was silly that he dressed himself so uh so pedestrianly man. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense. I mean he doesn't know what to think. He he's he's playing the odds. Is what he's doing. Uh, he goes to his son dressed like that, probably less of a shock to the sun system than seeing him in one of those outfits that they like to wear. Okay, right? okay, but when when they showed up, you know, he's wearing what t shirt and jeans. Yeah. So why not wear t shirt and jeans? You know, when you're around your son, as opposed to you know putting putting the khakis on and stuff like that. Because he's trying to make a good impression for the kid. He reminded me of Crocodile Dundee minus the hat or something. Oh, yeah? Yeah, just kind of that khaki and all that. Uh, And I thought that was really interesting, but I kept thinking in the back of my head, you know, he's been raised by his mother all this time. I bet you the mother has told him all about her, you know, his father. Well, she says that. She says, we don't keep any secrets and we talk to each other. Because Tick is kind of like taken back, Mm -hmm. right? He's like, what do you mean he's okay with it? What do you mean he knows? I mean, he's shocked. I would like to think that it's pleasantly shocked and pleasantly surprised, but he's kind of just taken back by it. But on the same token, I think that mom did a really good job of raising him so far and uh, teaching him to accept people for who they are. You know what I mean? And he accepts his dad 
for who he is. And I think that's, I think that's probably the most beautiful part of this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I thought the interaction of Benji with Felicia talking to Felicia about, you know, does my dad have a boyfriend, all that. And sure. That's okay. And, and then talking to his own father. Yeah, I agree with you. That was the most poignant parts of the movie. And I like Felicia's uh, crazy uncle status with the kid. I mean, it, it just kind of fit. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So. Yeah. Do you want to play Lego? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the part where they go off on their picnic, whatever, and they do a game of charades. Did you get why Bernie reacted so kind of weird to the fact that Benji was doing Lindy Chamberlain? Do you know who Lindy Chamberlain is? I don't live in Australia, so no. You you will know who Lindy Chamberlain is by one phrase. Fire away. A dingo ate your baby. Oh. She is the one that her and her husband went on a camping trip. I guess she was a celebrity at the time. Went on a camping trip and basically their chi- their baby went missing, came back, reported it that a dingo had stolen their baby. And uh, I guess people didn't believe them and they went to jail for a while until later on it was proven by DNA evidence that yes, a dingo had killed their baby. That reminds me of Tropic Thunder when Robert Downey Jr. and uh, the other guy are arguing because Robert Downey Jr. is playing a black guy mm-hmm. who's or who's playing an Australian who's playing a black guy. What, a dingo ate your baby? Oh, and, yeah. And then uh, Robert Downey Jr. You know that shit's real, man? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, yeah, so Lindy Chamberlain is the whole origin of a dingo ate your baby. So what did you think of their uh, their final act that they did at, at the uh, at, at the resort? I hate that fucking song. I hate that fucking song with a passion. I didn't like it in 94, and I don't like it now. Which Finally! Song? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not for me. Did you get, and I honestly didn't get this until recently, that every costume change throughout that whole sequence was a salute to Australia. No, there were four wardrobe changes. Yeah. The first one where they kind of had the weird like ball heads with the uh, streamers coming out of the sides is a, a popular flower in Australia. The second one was emus. The third one was the lizards that you find all over Australia. And the fourth was the opera house, the Sydney opera house. There you go. I, I chalked up those four wardrobe changes. Each one of those were different shows that happened over the arc of their stay. Which, I mean, twofold, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's both things. Now they want to go and fulfill Adam or slash Felicia's Wish. dream. Mm-hmm. Yes, the dream to go to King's Rock. And stand up there in full drag. As a queen. As a queen. In and full-length Gordier sequin in heels and a tiara. And they do. A oh, cock and a frock on a rock. Uh, How uh, Bernie describes it? I believe so. Uh, I can't imagine. I mean, these actors probably had to hike up that that mountain because they really went up there in those outfits. Yeah, but they were smart. They wore hiking boots. You know, that's notice that. Yeah, I guess I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Uh, can you imagine, too, when they got up there, uh, it looked like the sun was going down. So they had to probably come back all the way down in the dark. Or the sun could have been going up. That's a good point. Yeah, and then they go back to the resort, and the, and, and this is uh, this is the part where uh, Tick says, "I want to go home," and uh, Felicia says, "Yeah, so do I." Kind of, 
And then Bernadette says, well, let's finish up these fucking shows and let's go home. They're getting ready to leave and Bob decides that he's staying. And he's obviously got a job with the hotel because he's wearing a, one of their shirts. One of the and shirts so, has a name badge too. Yeah. And at this point I knew that Bernadette was going to stay too. I, I saw that coming a mile away. What did you guys think of that? I, I, I agree. It wasn't a surprise. I, I wasn't surprised either. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they just wanted to have more time together to decide what do they want to do. Sure. Absolutely. And so Tick, Benjamin, and Felicia get into Priscilla and drive away. And I kept thinking was... Did they fix the tank, you know, at some point along the way of getting to Alice Springs? Or did they get it fixed at Alice Springs? Are we supposed to assume that? Because how did they make it all the way home with no problems? They got fixed and they got home. Uh, because then they, when they get back, they close out the movie with some Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. To a cheering crowd. To a cheering crowd. Because Australia loves ABBA. Did you have... Any particular performance of theirs that you appreciated most or didn't hate the most? I didn't hate any of them. Mm-hmm. None of them jumped out at me. They were all just kind of, eh. Yeah. Professor, did you have one that kind of jumped out at you? No, not necessarily. I, I thought that they I thought that they were all fun enough to watch. The, the problem is for me, and just me, I don't like, I mean, no disrespect to anybody out there. Uh, I don't like I Will Survive. I've heard that song so many fucking times. It's cliche. And uh, Shake Your Groove thing? Yeah, okay, whatever. I did enjoy I Love the Nightlife, and I don't mind ABBA. I think ABBA's just fine. Um, but as far as their performances, I mean, they were just lip syncing and going back and forth. It's interesting you bring It's not up, like it was Circus Olay. It's interesting you bring up the point of you've heard the music so many times that it's gotten annoying. Uh, if you had seen this movie back in 1994 where you probably had heard the music a lot less, would it have made any difference? Would you think you would have enjoyed the movie any more than you did? Who's to say? I thought it was interesting how Australia has really embraced this movie. Uh, They basically took the bus on a big tour across the country, and when they had the Summer Olympics, they actually did a whole big drag thing, I think, for the opening or the closing, including a lot of... Uh, numbers from Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Oh, sure. Absolutely. This movie was an important part of the whole culture and where we were at as a, as a world. And, uh, you know, Australia wasn't afraid to let their freak flag fly and people got behind it and still get behind it. And I applaud them for it. Mm-hmm. Back then, it took a lot of guts for that to happen, and, you know, the success is just because people were accepting and, you know, just let people be who they are. I will say this. There was a scene that made me chuckle when they're on the bus and they're going to one of their towns or whatever, and Felicia shows Bernadette her avatar. Oh, uh-huh. I thought that was pretty fucking funny, and then after watching the behind the scenes, he... Couldn't confirm nor deny that really happened, but we're pretty sure it really happened. So talk about fucking fandom, right? Waiting for your favorite artist to leave the loo, going there and picking a nugget out of the fucking water. I don't know. Would you do Just, that? Fuck no. Um, Professor? Absolutely not. And luckily for Felicia, I mean, it wasn't that big of a turd. 
Right? I'm going to fit in that. I mean, and then they cut to them on the outside and she's wearing it around her neck. And the whole time I'm watching, I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> so Hugo Weaving went on to have a pretty big career after this. He did Matrix and he did some other movie. What was it where he played? Captain America. I Well, no, he was in Red, Red Skull. Skull yeah. yeah, but I think it was before that. Wasn't he an elf or something? Oh, for fuck's sake. And now it's time for John's moment. This is the point in our podcast where I take any movie we're currently reviewing and compare it to the greatest movie series ever made, Lord of the Rings. So for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I'm going to start with our Frodo, which is Anthony Tick Belrose, otherwise known as Mitzi Delbra. The movie is really about Tick's journey. What happens with Felicia and Bernie are more like side quests. This is really Tick going from not having you know a place to finding his home and finding his family, whether it is his blood relatives or you know the f- the friends that become his family along the way. Marion Barber, Tick's wife, would be Sam. She serves as the source of encouragement for our Frodo. It's her request that keeps Tick on his path to find his family. While Marion isn't seen until the end of the movie, it's her influence and encouragement that helps Tick move forward on this journey. Tick is also our Aragorn. He's the leader of the group, even if he doesn't want to be. Over time, he grows more into this leadership role, showing much more confidence by the end of the movie. Adam Whitley, a.k.a. Felicia Jolly Goodfellow, I'm going to assign Pippin. Mischievous, good for laughs, but also has a good heart in the end. Felicia is both helpful and a hindrance on our journey. In Lord of the Rings, it was Pippin who took the Palantir because he was curious and wanted to see what it could do. In the same way, Felicia does things to push the limits and see what happens. Like when she uses Bernadette's real name, or attends the kangaroo barbecue. Gandalf is Bernadette. With age comes wisdom and occasional tough love. Bernie also is often seen advising Tick and Felicia throughout the movie. When Felicia is cornered by the mob, it's Bernadette who guides Felicia away and blocks the hater's path, even kicking one of them twice in the Balrog. And when the journey is complete, sails off to a new direction, separated from the rest of the fellowship. Robert Bob Spart is Gladriel. Just like Gladriel, Bob comes along later in the movie and helps light the way for the girls. And just like in Lord of the Rings, you can kind of feel a spark between Bernie's Gandalf and Bob's Gladriel. Synthony Campos, Bob's wife, is Gollum. Being the center of attention and a performer is her precious. And anyone who tries to steal the spotlight away from her becomes her enemy. This movie really doesn't have any sort of antagonist, except for maybe the concepts of prejudice and hatred that they face along the way. So I won't be assigning a Sauron or a Sauron for this. So what is the precious? What is the one ring? In Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, the ring is represented by the fear of being accepted. Throughout the movie, Tick is fearful that his son won't accept him. 
It shapes a lot of his actions and his attitudes, even causing him to snap at his friends on many occasions. When he first meets his son, Benjamin, this fear makes him try to butch up and hide his true self. It's not until his son shows him total acceptance that Tink is able to break free from the control this fear has on him and happily be truly who he is. The son, in a way, you could almost say represents our hero casting off the ring into Mount Doom. And there you have it, my comparison between Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and Lord of the Rings. Bring on the grades. Who did you say Bob was again? I said Bob was Galadriel, the uh, elf that gives them the light. Who did you say uh, Felicia was? Felicia, I said, was... Uh, Pippin. Pippin. I want... I. Originally, he said that uh, thought that maybe Felicia was both Mary and Pippin, but it was Pippin who was the curious one and always getting in trouble. Not bad. You don't think Tink should have been Elrond? <laughs> uh, no, because he didn't have the confidence or the wherewithal to uh, know what's going on. I just. <clears throat> All right. Um, I'll give you a solid C plus for that. C. Okay. And that was John's moment. All right, what do you guys think? You guys ready to rate this flick? I'm ready to rate this flick. How about you, John? You want to rate this flick? I think I could be ready. Uh, hey, Professor, how do we rate our movies? We do our ratings on a scale of one to five fucks. Five fucks is a movie that we think is cinematic gold. When somebody says, do you want to watch The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert? Fuck yeah. That is one fucking awesome movie. A one-fuck movie is, what the fuck was that? Besides a waste of my time. And what's a zero? This movie isn't even worth a fuck. I want one hour and 43 minutes of my life back. All right, fuckers, who wants to go first? Not me. Would you like me to go first? Oh, sure. Priscilla is a comedic movie that has fun outfits, music, and stage performances. It confronts prejudice and acceptance from the point of view of the main characters in a way that doesn't overdo it, but at the same time gives you the feels about it. I like how it matches comedy with all of the serious tones. The acting in this movie is adequate. It's okay. If I didn't know more about the actor's real life, I could be led to believe that those were really their lifestyles. And if you're an ABBA or fan of that style of music, you'll want this soundtrack. The costumes were amazing enough to win an Academy Award. All around, I thought the production value was okay in this movie for being made in 1994 in Australia with not a huge Hollywood budget. The message in this movie is also a big factor of my enjoyment. The movie starts out with a musical number all about wanting family and trying to find your home the place where you belong. Tick is looking for both of those by blood and by family. It's also about the acceptance of other people and acceptance of yourself universally. Even in the worst of times, it's your friends who have your back and can lift you up. But it's also about finding your home. And in the beginning, our characters are wandering. They're kind of lost. But by the end, it's Tick who states, after their final musical number, it's good to be home, signifying that he's found exactly what he's looking for. 
Priscilla isn't a movie that I will go looking for to watch just any old time, mainly because I've seen it so many times. But it is a movie that I would watch if I stumbled across it or someone else made the suggestion. It definitely has rewatchability and is fun to watch with a group of friends. So for those reasons, I'm giving Priscilla Queen of the Desert 4.25 fucks. All right. Four and a quarter fucks from the comic book guy. You want to go or you want me to go? No, I'll go. All right, buddy. So talking about the adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, I had no expectations for the movie. I had never thought about watching it before. I've heard about it and that it's a fun watch and such, and I didn't necessarily know what to expect out of it. I thought that Hugo Weaving was passable, and Guy Pierce, he was a lot of fun. Terrence Stamp, I think, was the character that uh, drew me in the most because he has this journey that Bernadette is on trying to, you know, move through the sorrow of losing somebody that they were close to and how do they pick themselves up when they're feeling so down. Road trip! Okay, and so off we go for a road trip. It was fun looking at all of the different outfits. I thought that the dancing scenes were probably the highlight of the movie, and that I think is probably makes the most of what this movie is meant to be. And unfortunately, it comes across in moments, and it's not necessarily a movie. I think that the, uh, the, the, the moments on top of the bus, you know, that, that's a fun little moment, but the story journey that I see for Tick is pedestrian. And having, having Adam, his story, I thought that he was just there, you know, for a comedic element. And I didn't necessarily find a, a strong draw or having myself hoping that the story uh, ends up in a, a bigger, better place for them that they have finally found what they were looking for. We certainly get that in the end of the movie in little bits by having Bernadette staying behind with Bob. And we do have the satisfaction of Tick back home and he's performing to a cheering crowd. But after that, you know, I, I got to say that mostly it was the dancing routines and watching them do perform and looking at the outrageous outfits and all of their makeup. That's what I think, you know, made the movie the most fun for me to watch were those moments. I think I would probably enjoy this movie more if I were to be watching it again, that I would uh, learn to have a, a better time with it than what I got out of this first time. But after a first viewing, I'm, I'm giving it two and a quarter fucks. Two and a quarter fucks from the professor and four and a quarter fucks from the comic book guy. Uh, the Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I have never seen this movie going into it and uh, right off the bat knowing that I had to have ads while I watched it kind of pissed me off. But I try not to let that ruin the experience. However, every time I thought that we could be building some steam story-wise and that we get going a little bit, we'd have a commercial. So there is that. I acknowledge uh, what it did and the impact it had on the LGBTQ and... Um, I think it's great. I think that uh, everybody should have a voice in telling a story. Priscilla, however, not so much. I thought the cast was fine. I thought Terrence Stamp um, went out of his bubble and tried something new, and God bless him for doing it. 
I thought Terrence Stamp was passable. Uh, Hugo Weaving was a little bit more passable, but still, I mean, he was just playing a guy. And unfortunately for Hugo Weaving, every time he smiled in drag, I kept expecting to hear him say, Mr. Anderson. And that kind of sucks. Uh, Guy Pierce, I thought, did a great job and really embraced the role. And I think Felicia was there to be comic relief and kind of be the fun, uh, the fun one, if you will. Story-wise, it's a fucking road movie. And what should make those movies fun and exciting is what happens along the way during this one. And I felt like we just spent a lot of time in the desert just being drag queens. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It just didn't move our story anywhere. It just didn't give us anything other than pretty things to look at. This film visually uh, was very good looking. You know, and the fact that they won the Oscar for uh, costume design on the budget that they were on is pretty fucking incredible. So, again, my hat's off to them as well. Unfortunately, I think or I feel that this movie puts pageantry before story, and that's where it loses me. So, because of all that, I'm giving Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, 1.5 fucks. That's a pretty widespread. So with four and a quarter fucks from the comic book guy, two and a quarter from the professor and one and a half from me, that gives the adventures of Priscilla queen of the desert an average of 2.7 fucks, which puts it in the 24th spot with Scrooged, which means it is slightly better than atonement Cobra and Christine and slightly worse than Tommy boy and Solo, A Star Wars Story. Now, I think you kind of mentioned a professor in your review that you'd be interested in seeing this movie again. Don, would you be interested in seeing it if you could see it without the commercials? Um, I guess depending on the situation, I, I'm not opposed to it. How about that? That is going to wrap it up for this week's episode. If you would like to know which movie we are going to review next, please check out our website. Uh, speaking of which, hey, John, where can they find us? They can find us at our website at threeguysinaflick.com where we post all of our podcasts, teasers for our next podcast, our show notes, movie trivia, anything else I feel like posting there. They can also find us at any place that hosts podcasts and all social media. There you have it. I just wanted to thank Zach, Ronnie, and Jill for always listening. Keep on listening. Thanks, Zach. Thanks, Ronnie. Thanks, Jill. And I want to thank everyone who listens and who has suggested a movie. Uh, be sure to pass this along to a friend, and if you keep listening to them, we'll keep recording them. So, for Three Guys in a Flick, I'm Don. I'm John. And I'm Ken. Thanks for listening. I think he said you got purdy lips. He does have purdy lips. Look at him. Sucking on that straw. I just loved my feedback for this week for the banner, which was Don wanted sexier hair. Well, come on. Did you see that monstrosity you threw on top of my head? Have some style, bud. A desert holiday. Let's pack the drag away. You take the lunch and tea. I'll take the ecstasy. Fuck off, you silly queer. I'm getting out of here. A desert holiday. Hip, 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 hip. Hooray. That was bad. Thanks, buddy. And it stars General Zod, 
Agent Smith, Aldridge Killian, but well, that's not right. You're the host with the most. And it stars, get your tongue out of my ass, Gary Hunter and Bill Hunter and and uh, oh, is it Bill Hunter and a bunch of other actors? Could be. <laughs> yeah, but I got to get this guy's name right first. It is Bill Hunter. Okay. It is Bill Hunter. Yes, yeah, the space key, bud. Space bar. That's why God created the space bar. And uh, so she lands up leaving. She lands up leaving Bob. She ends up leaving. She ends up. What did I say? Lands up? Lands up. Because trick or tink or what the tick, fuck? Tick. tick. Would you say a zero is like an abaturd? No, because an abaturd is Impressive. highly. <laughs> that should have been the fucking precious. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> even wore it around his neck. It was staring at us in a fight. You know what? You now get a D for missing that. Hey, sometimes I like the D. Yeah, sometimes you do. Oh, God, it feels good getting that headset off. You know, that, the, you know, and these glasses and the heels. Boy, I got to tell you, my doggies, they are killing me. You know what? I think I kind of like this outfit I got going on. So oh, you are slaying it. You are gorgeous. Hey, I'm not going to say when you got it, you got it. But, all right, fuck off, good night.